Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're finding out about ECM activity in the EMEA region and the impact of the war in Ukraine. I'm joined by Samuel Kerr, senior ECM editor, and Cristiano Dallabona, ECM reporter, both at Ion Analytics. Hi, Samuel. Hi, Cristiano. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So let's begin by rewinding a few months. How did the IPO pipeline in the region look before the invasion of Ukraine took place on the 24th of February? Well, actually, the IPO pipeline looked pretty healthy before the invasion of Ukraine. Um, We had some issues in the equity capital markets since the beginning of the year with uh, the change in macroeconomic environment, central bank tightening rapid inflation that we've obviously seen across the Eurozone and also in the United States and, of course, in the UK. But some uh, deals were ready and some issuers were ready to try uh, to test the IPO market in what we often call the pre-Easter window. So, actually would have been around now that deals would have been pricing. And we had some very big names. Uh, we had uh, the Swiss, Swiss skincare company Galderma, which is uh, owned by EQT. Uh, the spin-off of uh, Coke, well, demerger of Coca-Cola Beverages Africa, uh, which was going to be listing in uh, Johannesburg and Amsterdam, and uh, a spin-off of ABB's uh, mobility unit, and that would be done through an IPO as well. Uh, all very big names uh, that were going to be coming to market, and uh, all obviously not coming to market now. Sorry, Christiana, you, you, you wrote a few about Italy as well, didn't you? Yes, um, actually, but an interesting one also um, that was supposed to go was the Plenitude which is the renewable um, subsidiary of the energy giant Eni. Um, they are supposed to be the curtain opener, and it's one of those that really uh, made the pipeline early on. And can you talk me through how quickly issuers started to make decisions on delaying some of these deals after that invasion took place on the, on the 24th of February? Well, it's very interesting. I, I wrote an ECM Pulse column on the day of the invasion. Uh, I was ringing the banks who were on all these deals, uh, who were frantically calling their clients to, uh, to effectively tell them that the pre-Easter window was off. Uh, from what we understand, some issuers pretty much got the message on the day, or at least the day afterwards. Uh, a couple took maybe a week or so to come to the conclusion that it wasn't the right thing to try and do an IPO where there was a major European war going on. But actually, the decisions were made pretty quickly uh, to, to, to delay those deals. And um, there's with the, we've done a raft of coverage through the ECM Pulse and also through stories on Merger Market about specific company postponements. Uh, Cristiano has obviously been leading on that one. Yeah, one of the first few companies actually that we've seen postponing was Coca-Cola Africa. They were supposed to um, launch an IPO in the pre-Easter window. In the end, uh, we were told that this was being postponed to at least May when the pricing should happen. It's a big IPO. We're talking about 8 billion US dollars and the company is trying to keep investors warm. But still, uh, the time frame will be worked out probably in coming weeks. Has there been a complete shutdown, would you say, in in EMEA ECM activity or have there been pockets of opportunity? Maybe, Cristiano, you can start with that one. Yeah, there were pockets of opportunity, um, especially, I would say, surprisingly, um, in the SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Company space. Uh, We've seen uh, one launching in Amsterdam. 
uh, from GP Bullhound, which is really focused on finding a target in the software space. And then we've seen a couple in London. I would say the surprising one was run, launched by Any, um, which wants to find a company in the renewable space, which is also uh, the reason why uh, market sources thought they would launch such a product in this space. It's a hot sector and it's one where targets can actually still be found. They managed to raise around 200 million uh, pounds on the London Stock Exchange recently. And perhaps it's become an even hotter space <laughs> given the move away from reliance on, on Russian fuel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, the any deal particularly was an interesting one because it was actually launched really during the teeth of the invasion. Uh, you know, when everything else was falling by the wayside, any decided to go against the trend and to do a special purpose acquisition vehicle, which I think is a sign actually that these kind of instruments are a slightly easier ask than a normal fully marketed IPO. Um, another area of opportunity that Cristiano has. Uh, uh, and I have been covering has been the Middle East, actually, which has been an incredible sector, uh, sorry, uh, hot region uh, for, for the IPO market this year. I mean, particularly Saudi Arabia, uh, there's been around three and a half billion of IPO paper in Saudi Arabia in the first quarter, which is by far the best start to the year ever in the country. And outside of Saudi, we just had the IPO of Diwa, uh, the, which is uh, Dubai's uh, state-owned utilities business, uh, which has uh, been upsized now to a 6 billion IPO, which is a huge deal for Europe. I mean, I know often people look at Middle Eastern deals and think of Saudi Aramco and 25 billion, but you know, that's actually very rare. So a $6 billion deal is, is, is a massive thing for the whole EMEA market. And uh, the fact that uh, Diwa has been able to do that sort of size shows the incredible pockets of demand in the Middle East. And you mentioned Aramco there, uh, which is certainly something I... I covered previously, but did that kind of pave the way for ECM IPO activity in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia specifically? God, I have still have nightmares about covering the Aramco IPO and uh, sort of the, the madness of that deal. But yeah, it actually did. I think Aramco really paved the way for people to start focusing on the Middle East. Uh, it wasn't actually a particular popular deal with international investors at the time. Uh, the original plan for the Saudi government had always been to have a very large and widely distributed global book, uh, which didn't happen because internationals didn't want to pay the price for Aramco. Uh, but since then, they've now been sort of setting up local uh, units to so that they can trade in Saudi Arabia and also focusing more on the Middle East. But I think what's interesting, we've moved on now from Aramco and actually what we're seeing in the Middle East now is not just oil and gas stocks coming to market, is a huge range of companies from across uh, sort of very fast growing economies. Uh, last year, the Saudi Tadawal uh, did an IPO along with a food delivery company and uh, ACWA Power, which is uh, the uh, renewables division from Saudi. Obviously, in Dubai, we have a utilities company and we have another company, Salik, which is going to be potentially listing this year, which is a road toll operator. So you're seeing now the whole economy being represented in the IPO market. And we've moved now from a very oil and gas centric uh, region to something where uh, people can invest in lots of different companies. And moving away from the Middle East, looking at the wider EMEA markets, when is it expected to reopen for new listings? I mean, we can't obviously anticipate what's going to happen in, in Ukraine, but what are your sources saying about when they expect it to, to reopen? 
So we wrote an ECM pulse a couple of weeks ago saying that actually the market, the window had been moved from post-Easter, which is often a traditional uh, European IPO window with deals coming sort of just after the Easter holidays to now almost till summer. Uh, so June and July now look like they are target months for a lot of these issuers. I have a suspicion that a lot of this activity, though, was going to start to be moved back even to September and the autumn. I think the volatility that's been caused by the Ukraine has hit massive uh, portfolio positions for lots of investors. And uh, this has gone rather large losses. And I think what people also need to remember is it wasn't a particularly great year even before Russia and Ukraine. Uh, you know, we have those macroeconomic conditions that we spoke about before are still there. Uh, it's It's horrible to say, but even though the Russia-Ukraine is, is is horrible news to watch, and the headlines are are, are catastrophic. Uh, actually, for equity capital markets, the economic picture is the real story, and those conditions continue to to worsen as we see with the cost of living crisis and the uh, indication that central banks are going to be raising interest rates very quickly. And Cristiano, do you have anything to add from on that? What are you hearing from your sources? Yeah, the, I mean, very still a sort of pipeline that people are putting their hopes in. For example, uh, Sam mentioned Galderma and also the immobility unit of ABB. Both of these companies surprisingly said that they're sticking to their timeframes. So they're looking at the second quarter as a potential um, window for their IPOs. But also again, uh, Plenitude, that's um, an IPO in the making with a massive syndicate of banks uh, working on it that is really um, working as a sort of image in any banker's head of a successful launch that might inspire all the other companies that are there waiting on the sidelines um, to say, okay, we can finally go and try. Yeah, so sentiment is obviously really important. And, and Cristiano, with the sectors... We, we've mentioned the energy sector, but which other sectors are faring better than others? Uh, I would say that we're seeing some interesting sectors uh, when it comes to the pipeline. For example, an unexpected one that I've been looking into was e-commerce. Um, again, there was a lot of uh, fortune in that sector because of the pandemic, people being home and ordering um, any sort of items they wanted. Uh, but now there's a question that investors have around the future long-term and post-COVID of this sector. But we're seeing, for example, Bold.com in Amsterdam. Uh, we're seeing uh, an Irish company, um, eShop World, going for an IPO again in this space. Um, so I would say this was an unexpected uh, sector that is driving a lot of companies at the moment. And obviously, there are a huge amount of macroeconomic and geopolitical factors at play at the moment. The war in Ukraine has had a dramatic short-term effect on Europe's equity capital markets. Is there an expectation of longer-term ones? Samuel, I know you've touched on some of this already with with some of those macroeconomic factors, but what's what's the specific impact of the war in Ukraine? I think a lot of it's actually to a point that you raised earlier, Julian, on energy. I think that's going to be something that we're going to be seeing funded now through uh, the uh, European equity capital markets and this push towards energy independence. Uh, today, uh, French, the French uh, utility EDF has just wrapped up its rights issue, and uh, we are now expecting to see far more European energy companies uh, hit equity capital markets in order to raise capital, in order to fund the infrastructure that's going to be required to, to wean Europe off Russian oil 
oil and gas, uh, most of that, uh, well, it's not most, but a lot of that is going to be renewable energy. Uh, you know, we wrote a piece last week on hydrogen, uh, and that's going to be a, a very important part of the uh, European energy story, uh, I think, going forward. And it actually is a very nascent part, so it does need a lot of investment. Uh, obviously, all of the uh, investment we've already made in, in, in wind farms and other renewable energy sources also needs to be doubled down on now because of the urgent need for, for energy independence from Russia. So I would expect to see that now being a consistent theme in, in, in the years ahead. I think other long-term effects, at the moment it's still early days as you say, but I think it, we uh, wrote a piece a few weeks ago talking to some bankers who say that they may never see a Russian IPO coming to market again in their terms of their careers. Originally, that sounds quite dramatic, but if you think about the severity of the war and the last time Russian companies were effectively exiled from capital markets after the annexation of Crimea in 2014, it took a good six to seven years for them to come back again. This is by all means worse, and it could be double or triple the length of time. And if you think about it that way, that probably will be most of the careers of uh, some of the equity syndicates and equity capital markets bankers today. Yeah. And when I worked for Deal Reporter and Merger Market as a reporter, <laughs> I covered a lot of the Russian mining companies listing in London. And it was um, it was a really interesting sector or subsector to, to cover because of all the challenges they had when they were listing and the kind of the, well, some of the red flags that were, that were raised, which have become a lot more apparent now. Cristiano, to you, a, a final word on your expectation for, for the long-term effects on the uh, equity capital markets? Absolutely. Uh, sources mentioned a few blockbuster IPOs that are looming, maybe coming at the end of the year at this point, uh, but are still giving hope. For example, that there's Porsche um, in Germany that is currently in the process of appointing advisors. Uh, there's a big story on how they will handle the process and the shareholders uh, behind it, um, driving this process. And it's one of those that is really um, setting the agenda at the moment for the others to come. But also we're seeing potentially a SoftBank's arm um, looking to launch at the end of the year. And again, there was a big uh, um, agenda discourse on this around the fact that they would go to New York rather than London and driving other companies to do the same. Um, that has been a, one of the big topics we've seen in the past few months. Um, uh, this idea that London might be losing some um, IPO hopefuls to other exchanges. Yeah. And I guess for bankers and companies, there are so many risks to delaying. There are almost as many risks to delaying as there are to, to going ahead now with the inflation uh, uh, and rising interest rates. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it must be an incredibly tough decision to do an IPO delay. I mean, I remember when I've spoken and interviewed issuers, you know, they talk about years of preparation to get to that date. And people have to remember when these pitches are won, you know, the valuations that banks are talking to issuers about are entire are sort of six, seven months in advance of when the deal is actually launched. So we're talking about bull market conditions of 2021 when these companies originally gave their mandates out. So I think it's a very soul, you know, hard, soul-searching exercise to have to delay an IPO. But I would say it's far better choice to delay a deal rather than to go ahead and have to pull it in the middle of book build or 
effectively priced with a very bad book, uh, which isn't convinced about the valuation that you're trying to sell your company at and the stock price craters in the aftermarket. And obviously, we all know, and I'm sure you know as well, Juliana, from your time as a reporter, we uh, have lists of failed IPOs and companies that have never recovered from some of earlier training. We can all talk about Aston Martin and Deliveroo. And I think that's a far worse long-term effect for a company than having to delay an IPO. Absolutely. Samuel Cristiano, thanks very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. That was Samuel Kerr and Cristiano Della Bona. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode. Thank you.